This is the Conscious Economics Podcast. Your co-hosts are two women who found themselves in careers on Bay Street, but decided that there was something missing. So here we are. I'm Rhiannon Rosalind. I'm your co-host and the CEO of the Economic Club of Canada. I'm also the co-founder of Conscious Economics. Hi, I'm Asil, the CEO of Conscious Economics and a financial therapist. Now, we call ourselves economic healers, and that is a term that I'm sure nobody has heard before, but we really believe that if we want to heal our systems and create a more equitable society, it starts with actually healing our relationship with money and the economy. When you join us on this podcast, you'll be exposed to courageous conversations that help us examine, heal, and redefine the relationship we have with money. Join us on this journey as we co-create the new economy together. What's up, everybody? This is the Conscious Economics Podcast. I am your co-host, Rhiannon. And I'm a seal. And as you guys see, if you're watching us on YouTube, we're not here alone today. We have an amazing guest. And when I say amazing, I'm really, really underestimating you're how amazing. You're amazing. Underplaying. Yes, absolutely. How amazing this so guest is. So we are is. joined by Brandy Lifeso, who is the CEO and founder of EVO Beauty and Cosmetics. Such an incredible smasher of the patriarchy, um, incredible person person who I really think embodies the conscious economy. So I'm so excited for all of you to get to know her. I'm sure some of you have already heard her story because she is definitely in the media, in the news, doing things, making waves, making changes. But Brandy, if you can um, introduce yourself to our to our listeners and just concisely, which I know is hard, just tell them a little bit about your journey from starting out to now becoming this incredible entrepreneur, founder, extraordinaire. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's so nice to see you guys. Hey, I'm Brandy and I'm the founder and CEO of EVO Beauty Group. And I guess any good part of the story starts at the beginning. So uh, I started EVO when I was 21 years old and I was living in a safe house woman's shelter after making the choice to leave an abusive relationship. And while I was there, I had a laptop and $15 and I taught myself how to use Photoshop on YouTube. And I then photoshopped an entire catalog of make-believe fake products. And I then took that catalog around to local boutiques and sold them these, at the moment, fake products. Um, Not a fire festival story, so I did figure out how to make the products and actually get them to them in the turnaround time. And that's how I bootstrapped and grew a multi-million dollar company. Um, We're focused on direct to consumer, so we sell exclusively at evobeauty.com. And we're really focused on ensuring that we are giving back to the community, that we are breaking stigmas and creating a kind future is our entire mission. And um, along the way, we're learning about new stigmas that we can break but particularly focus on um, breaking beauty stigmas and stigmas of the patriarchy. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about that a lot on on the show. We've talked a lot about conscious consumerism. We've talked about the beauty industry. We've talked about Mm. sex and money and all of those different things. And so I just love what you're doing. I think it's so incredible. And, you know, now to have the company valued at over 15 million and to see where you started and the short period, it tells me a couple of things. One, it tells me that you have a very natural ability to see gaps in the marketplace. And and that is something that I think is... Um, you know, we come to this question, like, are we born entrepreneurs or can we can we build them? Can we design them? You seem like a born entrepreneur. What do you think about that question? I think the important thing around that question is 
isn't always a popular opinion, is deciphering um, the difference between a business owner mm-hmm. and an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Because I think that those two topics often get blurred. Yes. I think that more often than not, but not always, because we're never completely in a box, an entrepreneur is born. Mm-hmm. Um, a business owner can be created. Mm-hmm. I think that they're two very different things, um, but nonetheless, an entrepreneur can be created as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's a frame of mind yes. that is a very difficult thing to yes, wrap is. your head around, mm-hmm. um, unless it's something that's so deep in your being. Yes. Um, so I think more often than not, an entrepreneur is born, but they certainly can be created. I've seen it done. I have never heard someone break it down that way before, and that feels so resonant in my body. Like I just got a little chill down my spine when you said it, because I think it's so true. And one of the things that I really truly believe in is that there's a lot of people out there right now that may be watching that are born entrepreneurs, and you have overcome challenges in your life. You've been innovating probably in ways that you you didn't call innovation um, just to survive sometimes. And the depth of where that comes from is where this business comes from out of you, I can tell. Mm-hmm. And so that is a very, very, very special thing. It's a it's a sacred thing, really. Um, and to see more women like yourself stepping into these roles to challenge traditional business norms, to say that we can create products that are financially successful, but that serve this undercurrent to humanity, that have a message. Mm-hmm. I know all your products are, are vegan. I know know that you know the best quality goes into what you make and I know that you're not even someone who walks around typically with a face full of makeup so so can you tell us a little bit about why you really wanted to tackle beauty and cosmetics and what that means to you philosophically because I think it's a lot about who you are again and uh, it's really special Yeah, absolutely. So when I first started in the cosmetic space, I had a real interest in cosmetics. I worked in the modeling industry as an agent, an agent's assistant initially. And so I was kind of around that environment quite a bit. And then when I found myself living in the shelter, which I think it's important also to decipher that that was my second time living in a shelter. So I lived in a shelter first as a child, which it's very typical that 70% of children who grow up in challenging circumstances and up back in those challenging circumstances due to creating those norms and so when I was in the shelter at 21 it was a full shelter like most shelters are and there was 29 other women other than myself and so there was one bathroom and so the moment that you have to yourself in the bathroom to put yourself together is to me it was so important I came from the modeling industry you know the modeling industry also has gained a lot of empowerment for women over the last you know decade or so and made a lot of changes there as well but um for me putting myself together in that moment was my armor it was how i was going to take on the world and find that confidence to get myself out of bed and to create a better world for myself Mm -hmm. than what my current um, reality was but further to that i also saw the parallels to it that at that time almost a decade ago the majority of these um, makeup companies were selling us hey this is what's wrong with you mm-hmm. and i'm going to sell you the solution how to fix it and 99 percent of the people selling us the solution had never even tried the product 99 percent of them were men and that made no sense to me so 
when I was in a boardroom as a young female entrepreneur, I was often the only woman in the room. And that meant I was the only person who had ever tried the product or even had an opinion around the product of how I was gonna use it in my daily life. And the majority of women also don't go around with full glam makeup in the way in which it has been marketed to us, especially a decade ago. And that was really interesting to me. So I started to also draw the parallels between being in a controlling relationship and the parallels to the industry being controlling and sexist in those natures as well. Wow. Um, and so that was something that really like grew a fire in me. But then further to that fire, I also really recognized this key moment that taught me a huge lesson in life, which was that the um, people working at the shelter and um, volunteering at the shelter often would say, you know, like Brandy won't be here for long. Like, you know, maybe don't put her on the chore list for next week. And, and they were having this conversation about me that made me feel as if I can't be there for long. And it made me frustrated in the moment because I thought like, why do they think I have my shit together? Mm -hmm. Like I don't, and I need help. And I didn't feel as if I was receiving the same help as others because they were perceiving me a different way because I had a designer bag, which I did not buy for myself. Um, That's also a part of a controlling nature within a relationship like the one that I was in. Um, And I, took the time to put myself together because that was my armor and that was then perceived in a way in which they thought Brandy's got her shit together Mm -hmm. and so she won't be here for long and that frustrated me in the moment but I recognized it was actually the best thing that had ever happened to me Mm -hmm. because it changed my inner dialogue it forced me to think I won't be here for long and therefore it forced me to find a way out which was EVO and that then changed the way that I looked at society and really drives EVO And I think the best parallel that we can look to it is we place so many labels on people. Um, Even cosmetics, for example, we have decided just randomly that it has a gender. Right. Like makeup is female. Like why? Like who decided that? Like it's not an object. This glass is not male or female. You know what I mean? So why did we do that? And so these labels that we place on ourselves and others in society with these massive stigmas create such challenges. And more often than not, we're placing those stigmas on ourselves and it limits our ability to be the best version of ourselves and contribute and change society. And so drawing a lot of those parallels was ultimately what brought me to cosmetics. It certainly isn't because I wear a ton of it. But this is why this is someone, you know, for everyone who's listening that represents the conscious economy, because our belief is that we can operate as status quo. We can run successful businesses. We can put products out into the world. But until we elevate our consciousness and have a deeper understanding of the roots of some of these things that's how we can actually go about innovating and changing and creating something that we all on paper say we want and you see a lot of organizations now that are you know trying to be more active corporate citizens trying to kind of step into that role but truly and honestly we really can't create the solutions until we unpack some of these things so the fact that you've done that the fact that that's where you're designing from that's where you're innovating from and the story in and of itself is all you know it tells me that you're walking your your soul's path and that there's something so much bigger here than what meets the eye and I think that explains some of the rapid acceleration that's happened to you as well because once we get into that alignment well you know things just start to unfold and happen which I know that they have This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, RBC Investees. Backed by 
expert human advisors. RBC Investees is a smart online automated investment service that allows you to invest with low effort and low cost. Open your first RBC Investees account and pay no management fees for your first year. Plus, start investing with as little as $100. Simply visit rbcinvesties.com slash getinvesting and sign up using promo code AA407. So, Asil, Brandy has been so gracious to say that she's willing to go no holds bar and talk about her relationship (laughs) with money, which I know we're so excited about. So we would love to ask you a couple of questions. We really believe in (laughs) financial therapy as a tool that can really help people in all areas of their life and to really sort of decolonize our minds, our economy, and start fresh. Um, So, Asil, I'm going to pass it over to you. Sure. I once heard that becoming an entrepreneur is like being on the highway of self-development because mm. you really need to face your your own self in the mirror every day and get out of your own way to even achieve mm-hmm. some of the successes you would dream of. So it's interesting that you moved from $15 to $15 million, and that's a really interesting journey that I'm sure was not linear. But what are some of the uh, challenges from the belief systems that you had to identify earlier on that were just coming or surfacing to the layer. Let's identify these beliefs first and then let's talk about how were you able to uh, overcome them. Yeah, I mean, I have such a hard time unpacking my relationship with money. I certainly had to adjust it over time, but I never really thought about the money. Like it, it was clearly like it was never about the money. So it wasn't until I had money that I started to have a complex or beliefs about it, I guess. Mm. And I also, I mean, I grew up in a position, I, I probably, I did have a lot of beliefs relative to money that I maybe wasn't as conscious of during those periods because I did grow up thinking that if you have money, you did something dishonest to have achieved that money, yeah. that you can't be rich and good. And that also just a lot of stigmas again like I think most things guide back to that and so I definitely had that subconscious belief Mm -hmm. going through my journey however I never really had a relationship with money and so even now my relationship with money is what do I want to do next and do I have enough money to achieve that Mm -hmm. and if not where do I need to go to get it Mm -hmm. but I don't like for example I know some people would be really uncomfortable if they only had 10 cents left in their bank account Mm -hmm. I don't care like at all like am I hungry is that 10 cents gonna feed me probably not okay so I need 25 cents so I can buy itchy bed Mm -hmm. like that was my thought process Mm -hmm. or like hey like I need to buy some more stock of lip gloss like on the early days of EVO okay like I need to fill this PO okay do I have anything I don't have the money do I have anything worth money I have a couch I can sell on Craigslist I have all these things sell them and it never bothered me for a minute and I, I think that the belief of money and the mission kind of correlate often because in my mind I was always rich but then that collides with then the belief system that I was taught that money was bad so there's definitely things to unpack within that belief process but even now I have such a risk tolerance relative to two things like I will spend down to my like I have so much confidence in what I'm doing at different times again it's like do I have the money that I need to accomplish this thing 
And that is my relationship with money. It is simply a tool to drive me to that next step. It's like a means to an end. And whenever we have conversations around with our guests and community, we always try to understand what is what is the meaning that you projected on money? Because that also ultimately uh, translates into how you behave with it, the emotions you have around it, the thought process you have around it, and ultimately the patterns that you create as a result of that. So if you're seeing money, nothing but means to an end, um, then naturally you're just always thinking about, well, what is that end first? And then determining how much, how far or what's the gap really between where I am and where I need to be. Um, but do you find that if you're constantly evaluating money um, and in correlation to goals, do you feel that there's a foundation that you've established that brings you comfort and peace of mind? Or is it is it always fleeting because of when the goal changes, then your relationship with money changes with it? Um, I'm not sure that my relationships with money change because... I don't think the goal ever changes for me. I don't think it has from the day I was in the shelter to now because the goal was never something tangible. Mm. The goal was always a feeling. And so because that feeling has always been the same of what I'm looking to achieve is this feeling in which I'm not even sure I can explain. It is just this feeling of comfort. Mm. It is this feeling of inner peace. It is this feeling of accomplishment. And money can't buy you feelings. And so the goal never correlated to money. The goal was never sell a million lip glosses. The goal was never, you know, get into, a lot of people's goals in the cosmetic industry are get into Sephora. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I heard it, and then the second time I heard somebody say that, and then the third time and fourth time and fifth time that I heard founders say this, I was like, that's your goal? Like, no offense to Sephora, (laughs) but I was like, what about inner peace? Like, what about like this? And and if that's your goal, then what happens when you get there? Then your goal's changing, like what you had just mentioned. And to me, that, um, that wouldn't motivate me. Yeah, well, that comes with deeper wisdom, what you just said, because your goals, it seems, are very intrinsic. And that's always the interesting breakthroughs that people create when it comes to uh, examining and uh, and really unpacking the relationship they have with money. Because all these projected meanings are a lot of them extrinsic, um, then they're always fleeting. And that's why we fill voids by either going and over mindlessly consuming or because we accumulate wealth because we feel that it'll bring us status or uh, it'll make us feel worthy or make us feel deserving or whatever it is, whatever void we're trying to fill really. Mm-hmm. But in, in your case, it's really coming with such wisdom that your goals have always been associated with intrinsic values. So money becomes truly a means to an end and not necessarily the goal itself. Well, and it just becomes an energy that's passed through accomplishing those feelings. Yeah. And it's so interesting because so I I have some overlap, like I said, to some of your experiences. My I was a child growing up in a domestically violent situation. It's why I, I teared in hearing the statistic because of this, you know, 70% sort of end up in that cycle again. And it's just so easy for us when our nervous system has been conditioned to be in those scenarios that we actually normalize that and then find ourselves in those scenarios again. And so um, even 
even, you know, in sort of alcoholism that was in my home and whatever else, I never, ever imagined as a little kid that I'd become an alcoholic, but I did. And I, I packaged it in a different way. So I thought it was different. Um, and, you know, it took me a long time to kind of realize that that little inner child, I was now hurting that inner child. I was the one who was making that, that part of me feel unsafe. Um, and, and sort of my road to, you know, taking that out of my life was about trying to nurture that feeling of that safety and security. But for me with money, because my nervous system has been so peaked out and I, you know, was used to moving around all the time and doing all these things, I have very, very little risk tolerance. So as an entrepreneur, I would play big games and it would lead me to all sorts of interesting places where most people would be like, how could you even live or sleep at night? But I was so conditioned that it really didn't matter. And I was also so um, strong in my belief of my work ethic that I was like, even if I end up in zero, I'll just like get back up again and start over. But that's kind of a wackety, wackety way to roll. Um, and so for me, I, I, interestingly enough, I made a big business decision and rolled and actually felt the loss of that. And it, it was for the first time in my life that my knees knocked together. And I was like, maybe I need to think about building this feeling of safety and foundation in myself rather than being sort of reckless and looking for that thrill because it's something my nervous system is conditioned to. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how that feels when you hear me say that. I relate um, to that in okay. so many ways. And in fact, I'm being completely transparent when I got my first million yeah. I spent in fact it was more than a million almost two I spent all of it in six months yeah yeah of course and that would be and I could relate to that because as soon as I started to bring in financial success and again I had conditioning around you know money was the reason my mother was beaten money was it, for me it was the source of kind of all evil and poor people were good people and hardworking people and I had all of these belief systems so every time I would get an exorbitant amount of money in my successful career I would just it would release it would mm -hmm. go in and out mm -hmm. and I would gift it I would give it I would spend it I would do everything rather than maintain or keep any of it because I was like, A, I don't need this. It's going to keep coming. Mm -hmm. And B, I don't sort of want it. Like I want to be able to give and love with it and do all of these things. But what I realized is that was there was a part of myself that wasn't able to love and like bring that security to myself. It's almost like a repulsion. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have that feeling mm -hmm. um, because that's not what I'm conditioned to feel. And so this is so interesting that we're kind of unpacking this because a lot of us are unique journeys and it's always unique. We end up in these really interesting places where we may have a great relationship with money in the sense like I'm so confident in my ability to make money. Um, I'm not so confident in my ability to save money or to do really, I don't know, conservative things with yeah. money. Well, it's the meanings you've associated with yes. it. Even, even earlier, you were talking about how you said uh, to, to make wealth, you have to be dishonest. And clearly, if you're holding on to these beliefs, mm -hmm. then even when life grants you the opportunities to create wealth, you want to get rid of it as soon as possible. But I'm very curious here. How did you spend $2 million in six months? Do you want to get into the details? Sure. I mean, it wasn't... Um it, it wasn't my money per se, it was EVO's. And I spent it on what I thought was the right things to spend it on during that time. And so I didn't spend anything over the top ridiculous, except for maybe a couple purchases that in the moment felt smart, but weren't. I spent $100,000 on a trip. I spent $60,000 on a custom vending machine. I spent, um, 
you know, and these are cool things, but yeah. Yeah. like, was it necessary? I spent obviously a ton of money on stock. Mm -hmm. I spent a ton of money hiring people that I thought knew better than me mm -hmm. that didn't necessarily. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like just, you know, it goes really fast too. And I, I find it really interesting that you, you, I can really relate to the, the um, topic of money and, and it going and, and your belief and being able to make more of it and, and that flow. And I find it so interesting because typically in society, and it's been really interesting now being with a partner and living with a partner and him and I have two very different styles of money. And it's so interesting to see kind of, I, I have the style in which you just expressed, yeah. but I do have a lot more stability within that now in my life after spending a lot of time working through things, including like talk therapy, psychedelic therapy, and working through the things that I needed to, to be able to get to a place in which I felt comfortable in yeah. being secure. Mm. Um, and then interesting enough to his side, um, to watch him have a ton of security financially mm -hmm. and have an abundance of opportunity mm -hmm. and have so much drive and ambition but not be willing to spend any of this money to get any closer to those goals and this like need to have that security yes, yeah. and so it's been really interesting to be in a relationship with somebody that's polar opposite yes. and how we've been able to come together because I strongly feel as if that security that I now feel within the financial realm of of my journey mm -hmm. is because of of him in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and vice versa he's just now starting to take some risks and starting to see some rewards because mm -hmm. interesting enough anytime like for example we were putting an offer in on a house together and i was like you know most of my most of my money is tied up in like xyz and i feel comfortable with it being there because if if you're buying a house, and most of society looks at it this way, if you're buying a house, that's the biggest purchase you're going to make in your life for most people. Yeah. And, um, and you save for it for a long time. But entrepreneurs aren't most people. Yeah. I spend more money than most people spend on a house on yeah. a monthly basis on yeah. buying plastic. Yeah. And I feel really a lot more reassured that because I've done it multiple times before, that the money that I'm spending on that plastic is going to make me more money than that house is ever going to make me in a turnaround market, mm -hmm. even if the market's amazing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are buying houses thinking that it is their security. Yeah. And so I, and I find my security in other places. Sure. And so... Yeah. It's interesting to, to see where people do find their security. And for, for example, my partner, he found security having cash in the bank. Mm -hmm. But then every single time he saw me have a huge win, he would feel insecure. Although he had more ability yes. and he had more privilege in that nature yes. to have 10 times more the success that, and, and more smarts, frankly, he's yeah. incredibly brilliant and works yeah. really, really hard. He had more accessibility to have these wins than I did, but it was a difference in beliefs and relation to yeah. money that allowed me to have the wins that yeah. he wanted and vice versa for him to have the security for us to be like, oh, we want to buy a house. And he's like, I have all the cash that we yeah. need for it. And maybe like, I don't really, but then vice versa. It's like that flip over of it. Um, 
And so, I mean, is there any real right or wrong? No, but that goes to reinforce the point I was making earlier that the meaning you attribute to money determines how you behave with it. So if for him money is security, then he doesn't want to let go of that security. And it reminds me of one of my clients who was a stockbroker whose salary was almost a million dollars a year. And when I did his cash flow, he did not spend more than 10% of that money annually. Uh, so he was living on a salary that's less than 100000 even though his salary was a million dollars with the bonuses and all the stuff he was making and he was never going to justify a purchase or spending money beyond that because he needed that assurance and a lot of people who have these beliefs um, really grew up in turbulent environments or come from cultures not necessarily if it's if it's not in your own family it's in the culture or the uh, geographical space sometimes that you grew up in the attribute to that lack of security in your upbringing where now you're clinging on that money because you're clinging on feeling secure yeah and a conversation that my partner and I had frequently as well is I was like what because like, he he would always tell me like what the money was for and he'd be like like it's for my family like also culturally his family is so important to him and and that's something that I love about him but I was like is it for your family mm-hmm. because in all the money that I've watched you make oodles of mm-hmm. what what did you do for your family mm-hmm and that was a huge like wake up moment for him wow. to be like why am i doing this why am i making this money which it's so interesting cuz once we start asking ourselves whatever the question may be there are these unconscious things that we do and that yes. until we ask the right question we don't actually we just kind of believe it so deeply in our being just like your partner did and it's not until we ask that question that we start to actually consider that there may be something else and we can program and retrain around it which is so interesting I have a couple interesting kind of questions for you because I relate so much just to sort of what's going on with you because a lot of it I think is going on with me so one of the interesting things is I used to always attract people around me that had a more conservative approach to money, but money was never an issue of conflict, even though I have a very, very different reality because, again, I would push over that. So I'd be like, well, I'll buy the trip. I'll buy the whatever. I don't care. Let's just do it. And so I ended up... um, having a lot of kind of hangers on and that was really something that I had to start to kind of dig into and it's again coming down to this kind of innate unworthiness of like a I don't deserve to have this money so I need to spend it because I don't want to be that person that subconsciously I believe you are when you have it even though not realizing and then also really feeling like I needed to almost pay like the people that were closest to me happened to be on my payroll and that's a really interesting thing when you start to blend these friendships with the people that you pay and all of these different aspects of what it means to be an entrepreneur and especially I would say a young woman who's running a company wants to hire young women wants to do all of those things have you ran into any of those interesting scenarios with staff or paying or or like any anything like that you know, I have, um, and it took a lot of sitting with myself and dealing with, with my own, I mean, anything on an entrepreneur, you said it really well that it's like entrepreneurship is a highway in personal growth. And so anytime things like that are happening, I do have to really sit with myself and ask myself, like, what, what about me is bringing these actions up? And um, I did struggle with that a little bit, but now I have like such a great team around me that really and and I don't know maybe it is also come from 
there's different phases, I think, of the entrepreneurship journey as well that require different types of relationship. And so that's something that I think is really difficult difficult because some of the people that were with me, um, minus one person who is literally with me from the day I left the shelter. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's been with me this whole time. She's, She's incredible. But there was a portion of time where I had other people around me that worked for Evia when I didn't have the means to really give them everything I wish I could and um, but they they worked really hard and made some magic happen at EVO but then I did have the means and they felt very entitled to it Mm. and despite making sure everyone was always taken care of because that was something that I was always really really aware of is because I never something also uh, that there's definitely deeper rooted things in that but I never ever wanted to feel like I owed anyone anything So I always overcompensated for it, which meant that I was then very, I think, like a deep, deep, deep frustration. In fact, maybe uh, the word is not coming up right now. Resentment. Yes. (laughs) I would have so much resentment when I know I went above and beyond and you still feel like you you still because, you know, five years ago you did X, Y, Z for me. And now you see and and I had to sit with that. And I read a quote once which really resonated with me that was um, people whom that often the people that are a part of your life after that success moment mm-hmm. aren't the people that were a part of your life earlier on because that forces where you have now grown into in that personal growth aspect and changed as a person in a great way or just, I mean, changes change in yeah. whatever way it is. Often it forces those who came from the same area as you or who were with you before, it forces them to have to look at themselves and say, why am I still here? Mm-hmm. When, they're, when they're looking with admiration to now what you have. Mm-hmm. And that's something that they don't tell you. Sometimes it's a lot of uh, pro- like jealousy. Sometimes it's um, resentment. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like jealousy admiration and, and is, projection. I wish and, it's admiration. Yeah. I wish because then we can uplift each other up as a society, especially as women. But I feel like a lot of us sometimes look up to successful women and think about all the stories about how to make this person horrible so we're not feeling inadequate about ourselves yeah. and it's really painful that to be stuck in that pattern well, that's one of the most common things that's happening all the time when yeah. we don't do our own work we're constantly projecting stuff yes. on other people our own insecurities constantly yeah 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 but this is conscious economics we say it like it is because we we the reason we do that is not just to call things out just for the sake of it but we really are always asking ourselves now that we know this is what's happening what's the next step for us to take it upon ourselves and take responsibility for our own lives to create uh, what we just not just deserve but totally totally a desire and we all desire to have a fulfilled healthy life so I know we're we have like a lot like a million more questions to ask you and we're approaching our end of our segment here we can have you on for many future episodes I definitely want to absolutely yes um so but any last words that you'd like to share with our listeners like what's few takeaways um you, you would like to leave us with Relative to money, the relationship with money. Yes. I think, you know, one thing that I did subconsciously that 
that turned, I mean, I could tell you a million things not to do with money that I've done, but, um, but one thing that I've done really well, I think is exactly what you and I spoke about before is that don't attach your goal, especially like don't attach yourself to a financial goal or don't attach yourself to necessarily a tangible goal. I think what really drives me, especially as an entrepreneur, you need to subscribe to highs and lows financially, emotionally, relationship wise, like you need, you are subscribing to that journey. And so I think that something that I did really well subconsciously on the onset was that my outcome was an emotion, mm-hmm. not a, I want to be sold here, not I want to accomplish this amount of money, or I want to drive a Ferrari, or I want this, or I want that. It was an emotion, mm-hmm. and therefore it was in my control, and it was it was healthy, you know? <laughs> I, and, and not that these other wants aren't healthy, yeah. but I think that it's really, um, it's been such a driving factor to be healthy even when times are low. Mm-hmm. So I don't define myself by what's in my bank account. So I'm going to say what you just said in different words, just to just to leave the, our audience with that. I, I would always invite in, uh, my clients and anybody from the conscious economics community to not just reflect on the goals they want, but what's really driving these goals what's the emotions underneath these goals that you really are after mm-hmm. and if, if that's a sense of security if that's a sense of accomplishment if that's a sense of worthiness um because you can never put a dollar value on that then ask yourself what are non-monetarily things that i can do to attribute these feelings to that mm-hmm. are not related to money and that's how you truly start creating these feelings intrinsically versus always chasing after them in Mm -hmm. in in attempts to fill voids Mm -hmm. really I love that and it's really navigating like what's your why yeah. yeah. Why are you doing what yeah, you're doing? Yes. Money is always a result. Yes. It's not a why. Yes. And so if you determine why you are doing what you're doing, and if that is inner peace, if that is, mm-hmm. um, if that is for your family, yeah. then, you know, keep, keep your eye on the prize on yeah. why you're yes. doing what you're doing. And I money is that. a result to that. Yeah, I, that. I think that's why you often hear people say like, focus on your passion and the money will come. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, cliche. Yeah. <laughs> there is some truth to it. There's there is some truth. truth. And with that said, just to kind of end off and and kind of showcase your why again, you've got a really incredible campaign going on right now with your latest products. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the campaign and the political movement that you're creating around your lipsticks and a few other products right now? Yes, yeah, so we just launched in June. We just launched our lip serum in two shades, a clear shade called Did I Make Myself Clear and a uh, rusty rose shade that is called Be Blunt. And it's really focused on, um, we, we invited our community to share moments in which they felt um, silenced and um, where they, they up rose from that silence and did something to really say, you know, did I make myself clear? And whether that was to yourself or to, because sometimes we put those limits on ourselves, or maybe that was to somebody, or maybe that was to an organization, or maybe that was to society. Mm -hmm. And so we, it wasn't just about my story. It was about many people sharing their, did I make myself clear moment. And um, tied with that, we really encouraged action. So I shared my did I make myself clear moment. And for me, that was the aftermath of domestic violence in how our society and system you know, rallies or doesn't around domestic violence survivors and the challenges that I had within the police system. Mm-hmm. And through my journey and now I'm supporting more than 27 shelters across Canada, I recognize that my story actually isn't that abnormal. Mm-hmm. It's my outcome that has been abnormal. And so 
in recognizing that, I thought, you know, there's got to be a solution to this. And there really is. There's incredible organizations saving lives and making such a difference, including the shelter that I lived in, which was the Vancouver Rape Relief Women's Shelter. And um, so many other incredible organizations that are so underfunded. And I think that if they had more funds, one, they could help break down the stigma. So those that need help truly know that help is accessible and that it's not a scary thing to access that help. And two that they can have more resources to help more people mm-hmm. and um the money exists and this kind of goes back to the money aspect too and this is like most things in financial situations the money exists it's yes. just in the wrong hands right yes, now yes. and so what we have um really made a political movement on is to re- reallocate funds from the police system to these organizations yes. and it's not because the police are bad that's not what we're saying in this movement we're saying that they aren't equipped to be able to help in domestic violence. Um, Two out of three women who previously went to the police for domestic violence said that they'd be somewhat or extremely scared to call the police again. Mm -hmm. And so if we're scared to call the people who have the funds to help us, um, then there's the funds need to shift into the place in which we are not scared to access that help. And therefore it'll also take a lot of the burden off of people who are not trained um, to be able to um, help those situations in which also accounts for 20% of homicides in wow. Canada. Wow, wow, I have wow. so much goosebumps listening to this because a lot of people who start hating money are hating where it's at. But when we start, rea- where we start reallocating it and seeing the power of transformation this resource can have and yes. really restructuring how we view it, then we, we get really excited and creative in how we can accumulate it because we are a force of that change and we're a vehicle of that flow. Yes. So I'm really excited that you shared that because this is how we translate these theories into t- what that looks like in reality. Well, that's amazing. I, I Again, we'll, we will link the product below yes. for everyone who wants to uh, participate in this. I know I have mine and I am just so proud to wear it and I love what you're doing. Yes. So we'll definitely have to have you back because there's so much so more. So much more. I have like and, more questions um, than I started. Yes, I know. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I know. Um, so we will definitely link Brandy um, and everything that we've been talking about below and thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you again next week on the conscious economics podcast visit us at consciouseconomics.ca or follow us at conscious economics this podcast is brought to you by cpp investments at cpp investments they never lose sight of the long term they invest the canadian pension plan fund to help provide financial security for generations of canadians They diversify the CPP fund across geographies and asset classes to access the best investment opportunities and generate sustainable long-term returns. The fund is now more than $400 billion. To learn more about their investment performance for Canadians, visit cppinvestments.com.